Oh my god, it feels like last time we recorded was literally five years ago, but it was only a week ago. So Insane. much has happened so since much. then. <laughs> the results of the election came out, and it was really great, and we all <laughs> partied all weekend. Not really, but... Was there anything uh, like going on in Denver? Like, um, were people... I heard that there were some like pro-Donald Trump like protesters um like downtown but like this is a pretty blue state so (laughs) especially in well from what i understood about denver is like denver is really blue yeah but like like, the the surrounding areas were maybe more lead red leaning yeah but we're like like land doesn't vote people do and we're significantly more people in denver than there is in like Pueblo or whatever so True. yeah so to protest here I'm like I don't one I'm like I don't know if people truly understand the function of protesting because like what are what's gonna happen by your like by you protesting the results of this election like I don't know what you think is gonna happen versus like protesting for like you know police reform like I think right. <laughs> are like two different things but uh, I heard that, and other than that, I don't think anything else really happened. Um, how was Mass or Boston? People were having a great time. There, I don't think that there is any red sections of Massachusetts, but, like, it was really nice out. So my sister and I, she came to visit. She had the corona test. Like, we were social distancing, blah, blah, blah. But it was really nice out. So we were, like, walking outside. We were out and about. There were people on the street corners with, like, Biden signs. Like, people had balloons. People were, like, driving and, like, honking their horns. And they were like, yeah, Biden. Like, it was just, cr- like, everyone was just so happy. And I feel like you could just feel the vibes of, like, everyone just collectively took a huge sigh of relief. And mm-hmm. we were like, we don't have to deal with that man anymore. <laughs> so it was pretty cool. I mean, I will say I'm not the biggest fan of, like, all the people coming together to, like, celebrate as we are still in the middle of a pandemic. Um, I saw, like, pictures of other cities and stuff. But I think we're all happy. And I think that's good, too. Like, yeah. I, I just don't want anyone to get coronavirus <laughs> No, celebrating. Sure. That would be such yeah. a huge bummer. I, I also genuinely don't. Since I don't live in, like, Denver proper, I, like, don't really know if anyone was actually out celebrating. But still, I'm just like, I wouldn't leave my house. But whatever, I guess, do what makes you guys happy. But also, the cases are spiking. People, stay exactly. home. <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah, I just want people to stay safe. And, like, just because one like plague on our country has gone away does not mean the other one has also gone away so wear your mask that's what i love about biden he's like i'm not president yet but everybody wear a mask i'm like we can all learn a little something from you listen to the president elect guys yes (laughs) 
um but enough what about else has politics. been happening in your life uh <laughs> So I already told you about this, but we got tweeted at by the Susan oh, yeah. B. Anthony Museum, and that was such an incredible moment. I was like, oh my god, how so famous. <laughs> but um, if you guys want to start checking out our Twitter, I'm going to try to do a better job of doing more engagement and like tweeting facts about the episodes, um, tweeting political commentary, you know. <laughs> Things like that. But I tweeted at the Susan B. Anthony Me- Anthony Museum uh, talking about how um, Susan B. Anthony wouldn't have wanted the, uh, the pardon from Trump. And they tweeted back. They were like, that's not fake news. <laughs> <laughs> They're so funny. <laughs> Next time I'm in Rochester, I'm totally going. You should. You should. Um, and just like as a, you know, Oops. I guess praise of Rachel... I I personally am not very good at like social media or anything like that because my brain just does not work that way and I just I'm glad that you're on the team and you can handle like our Instagram and you're like quippy enough I guess for like Twitter because I'm just like rage retweeting things on my own personal Twitter (laughs) about like you know the many injustices or like psychology or something and you can be punny and so good for you yeah we're glad to have you i don't even have my own personal twitter i deleted it like a year ago because i was spending too much time on it and (laughs) i didn't get enough i like would tweet something and i was like oh this is gonna be like a famous like this is gonna be retweeted by everyone (laughs) my account's gonna be picked up like this is the funniest thing i've ever said and it never happened so (laughs) i just was like you know what this is this is enough like i just don't need to be on this um but yeah i do the the instagram and the twitter and it's fun i have a good time but natalie handles the editing which (laughs) my brain cannot commute 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 (laughs) (laughs) my brain clearly don't do the good (laughs) um oh my gosh so, like, the message is we all have strengths uh, and work together in teams and highlight people's strengths. Um, yeah. Anyway, <laughs> uh, also just a quick reminder to leave us a review. And for every review we'll get on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, whatever, we will donate a dollar to the National Center for Victims of Crime. Uh, just our pitch, as per usual. And I think that's everything I I had to say before we got started. I just want to put this out there that, um, one, in terms of Bachelor news, it is not (gasps) usually normal to get engaged to someone after a few days. And I know that that can work for some people, but as someone who is married and sees how difficult marriage can be, I don't recommend it to our listeners. Number one. Oh my <laughs> God. Don't even get me started on the bachelorette. What a disaster. I have to watch the new episode after this so I can Same. talk with my sister about it. Maybe we can do like a three-way chat, but like, Oh my God. The bachelorette. I was just like losing my mind the entire time. I was just like, this isn't normal. <laughs> Like, stop acting like this is okay, Chris Harrison. Like, step in. It's just appalling. Um, And I feel like they kind of knew that Claire was going to pull some, like, They had to have. 
like Tasha had to have been there quarantining. She like, had to because they're like she's on her way. Yeah, like there was like maybe like a couple days like between like filming, like when I think Claire left and when Tasha was brought out. And if everyone has to quarantine for two weeks, that means Tasha was pretty much there from the beginning because they have not mm-hmm. been filming for like two weeks. <laughs> it's just so. been such a disaster the whole time, and like. Here's the thing, is that I feel like a lot of bachelors and bachelorettes have come forward after their seasons and said, I pretty much knew it was going to be X person the entire time. But you understand that you kind of have to, like, play the game and be also be open to anything happening. I think you have to give everyone a fair chance and, like, all that. It's just, oh my gosh, she just was not a good candidate, I feel like, for The Bachelorette. And yeah. clearly, she got engaged in, like, five minutes. So, yeah, that I was mean, just... I wish... Yeah, I wish them all the best. Like, you know... Oh, yes, absolutely. I, like, I, I am a, I'm a champion for love. Like, make it work, be happy. But also, it's, like... It's two things. It's one, and I especially felt this with, I think, like, Colton season a little bit, or maybe, I don't remember, but, um, like, we know the show is produced, but, like, stop treating us as the audience like we don't know that it's produced. (laughs) Like, stop trying to, like, make us think that, like, this is all, like, unexpected and, like, a crazy turn of events when you, like, send Chris Harrison to someone's house in Auburn, Alabama to bring them back. (laughs) Like, like, just, you know, I'm it's, it's super silly to me. And then on the other side, I'm like, the people who sign up for the show, like, yeah, some of them, like, most of them go in there knowing I'm probably not going to end up with this girl, but they're still there for the experience. They're still signing up for what the show is advertised as. And I just feel like it's super inconsiderate to like, like everything that she did. I just feel like it's super inconsiderate to like go away with somebody for an hour when you're on a group date, like oh things like gosh, that, yes. where I'm like, or respect. that one guy who was like, oh, I'm excited to like learn more about you. I saw that you were like going to be the bachelorette and I thought you were like so pretty. And she was like, what else do you know about me? And he was like, uh, I'm here well, to find out. <laughs> that's what I'm here for. And she was like, you mean to say that you don't know anything else about me? All these other men have come here, like, knowing things about me. Like, it was just absurd. I'm like, you can't expect someone to, I don't know, know stalk you on yeah. Instagram. And, like, personally, I don't know that I'd want someone to go and try to figure out everything else about me. Isn't that how dating usually works? Is yeah. that there's an initial physical attraction and then you exactly. go from there? <laughs> exactly. And what's interesting is, you know, I, I like, saw a couple of videos um, that she and Dale have released um, since, you know, their engagement, like, just on, you know, in their daily life. And they're, like, I think on one video, she... Like, Dale's literally like, yeah, I'd never watched The Bachelor before. I don't, I really didn't know this. And so I'm like, clearly that wasn't your issue. Your issue is just that this guy is not Dale, which like respect, I don't know, just respect the process or respect the people there enough to like, hey guys, this isn't um, like you guys, none of you guys are for me because Dale is the only one for me. And then, like, when she went and told them, like, yeah, this process isn't working or whatever, I'm, I'm going to leave, 
one of the guys was like, I think you owe us an apology. And she got super defensive and was like, an apology? What? I will I, not I'm, apologize I'm not going to apologize love. for love. <laughs> and it's like, that's not the point. The point is these people have given up their life. Right. Oh, to, uh, whatever. It's, it's a lot. It's, I'm getting heated. It's <laughs> We get that this show is like not, it's very inconsequential to like, everything that's happening in the world but some of us rely on it as like a great escape yeah and we, we don't like release. people yeah we don't like people bastardizing what we love <laughs> i feel like the bachelor is for like mental health counselors is like what football is for like regular people you know it's just like <laughs> Solid. It's something yeah. that at the end of the day like is not going to make me like make or break any emotions in my life or you know dramatically impact me but I love to sit down and just yell at my tv sometimes exactly um speaking of yelling at the tv so I texted you about this but like I wanted to bring it up the new Hulu tv show I think it's fx actually a teacher I think we talked about it a while ago yeah but there's this new series that is portraying the story of a female teacher who ends up being with her her male student who is underage or he might be like 17 but still it's um very much against the rules of your job and very much inappropriate and very much abusing um an authority position and Um, against the law (laughs) yeah so the one thing I will say about it that I didn't realize at first is it's not portraying it as like a love story um which I think is good it's very much portraying her as an abuser um it's still kind of uncomfortable to watch but I'm powering through it for the sake of research and (laughs) I'm just a couple there's like three or four episodes up and I've watched them all and it's just like oh my god I'm just sitting there yelling it is so disgusting it is so gross I just don't understand like I don't get it I I don't understand it but I think it helps bring a little bit of understanding to like situations where this happens um and we'll see I'm gonna keep watching it and I, I hope that we will do another episode on um, teachers who have preyed on their children because unfortunately there are more than a few cases of that yeah but it's bad news for everyone involved yeah i i don't do do cases like that deserve our understanding or should we just lead with outrage um i i <laughs> i say understanding in the sense that i as much as I want to lead with outrage, I feel like there's always two sides to every story. And, um, you know, being a mental health counselor, you might be in the position where you are treating the victim of a crime and you also might be in a position where you're treating the offender. And I feel like it's good to try to get an understanding or and use that understanding to see where things went wrong where a situation could have been absolved where you know the offender you see okay if someone had stepped in here or yeah you know like this is where some boundaries got crossed and a child shouldn't have been allowed to be in the same room as this person or um i just think it helps i i feel like i get what you mean yeah i want to have an understanding of the whole situation and like what pieces like we're in place to kind of 
give rise to this? Like what, 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 kind of like what you said, what went wrong and where and how. Um, right, I get right. That. And like, I think the most important thing to take away is prevention. Where could things have been stopped? And I think that even if people do bad things that they you know they may have had bad things done to them themselves um i think it's important not to it doesn't excuse what they did i think that's where i draw my line of like it is not once you perpetrate on someone else that's where you know my understanding is is not as good um but Mm -hmm. i certainly believe that there's you know two sides to every story i hope that the next time that someone can step in earlier or there can be things that are learned from that situation but um still very sure lots of outrage and it's very frustrating to watch i will say and i think that it's good that they're portraying you know because i feel like in the it portrays it as complicated whereas like uh what's it called pretty little liars it was like oh my gosh when i was watching it as (laughs) a teenager i was like oh my gosh that's so romantic he was her teacher and like now they're together and they have to be secret and i like didn't put two and two together that that's like messed up and like now that i'm an adult i see how dumb i was as a teenager and how easily influenced you could have been and like it's like it didn't occur to me that that was like inappropriate when i was a teenager (laughs) watching that but now i'm like horrified that that is like okay and like oh my god what an inappropriate thing and that man should be in jail <laughs> what's really funny is like that was 99% of the reason that I stopped watching that show I, like I think I got to maybe season two and I was just like this is this is ridiculous I can't do this See, I just um, stopped writing or watching because of the poor writing of the show. <laughs> it it was twofold. I'm like, none of this makes sense. Like, this is a child. This person's an adult. This is weird to me. And then also, like, if this person is, like, com- if the secret person is coming at you guys for being together and, like, whatever you guys did, why not, like, move? <laughs> I, don't I don't know. Anyway, um... You let us know how that, how the teacher is. I um, will only be making or basing my opinions off of what you tell me. So, yeah. Sounds great. (laughs) I will have some news for you. Don't you worry. Maybe I'll like tweet some stuff too because it's just lots of opinions. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Pink Collar Crime, a true crime podcast focusing exclusively on crimes committed by women. I'm Rachel. And I'm Natalie. If you're joining us for the first time, welcome. Each week, we're going to tell you about one or two cases of crimes committed by women and discuss details, motives, similarities, and differences, etc., etc. If you like our show, tell your friends. Please subscribe and give us a five-star rating and tell us what you love or don't love about the show. And give us a follow on social media at pinkcollar underscore pod. That brings us to what we are going to talk about today, which is going to be celebrity cases. Um, So we've done this once before when we covered Jane Fonda and Winona Ryder, and that was a super fun episode. And now we're obsessed with Jane Fonda, so oh, yeah. hopefully this will go as well as that one, but I recommend checking that one out too if you haven't yet. Um, and so today you are going to start 
I wrote that down. So I'm going to keep track of that from now on because I am on top of my stuff. Yeah, I am starting. So today I'm doing Tanya Harding, which I've kind of always wanted to do Tanya Harding. I didn't consider her a celebrity. I was like, maybe one day we'll do like sports crimes. (laughs) But Rachel says that she's a celebrity and Rachel is in charge of this podcast. Well, we just watched... (laughs) We just watched I, Tanya, I Tanya, which is yeah. why I'm saying that. Evan and I watched it before, and we both loved it. And then my little sister was here, so we all watched it together. And she yeah. loved it. Um, I am interested. I feel like the movie had a bias to it, so I'm interested. I've been so excited to hear your telling of it, and I want to see what you have oh, to say. I, um, okay. <laughs> um, I, yeah, I, I really did enjoy I, Tanya too, um, and I think it did make me feel a little empathetic towards Tanya. And even in this case, I still kind of feel empathetic towards Tanya. So I probably wrote mine with bias. So sorry, guys. Whatever. <laughs> oh, I, I feel like the case you can't watch it without bias. But yeah. I'll, I won't say anything. And then I'll just let you say it. And then if, if I have any comments, I'll add them at the end. Okay. Um, and I also try to stick pretty straight to, like, facts. So... You're welcome, guys. <laughs> so, wow, you stuck to facts, <laughs> not just your own opinions? <laughs> I know, how crazy. Um, so, so controversial. In, Sorry. I know. <laughs> <laughs> so in the 1980s and 1990s, Tanya Harding was making a name for herself within the world of competitive figure skating or competitive ice skating. I'm not really sure, like, are they interchangeable? I use them interchangeably, but if I'm saying it wrong, my bad, guys. There's also speed skating. So maybe that. I think ice skating is like the umbrella, and then figure skating is one part of that. Because then there's also like the speed skating and hockey. You know so much about this. <laughs> I'm an expert. Um, okay, well, I guess she did ice skating and maybe specifically figure skating. <laughs> Or maybe speed skating isn't a thing, and I'm just thinking of rollerblading. I don't know. I love that movie Brink, and I think they rollerblade in that. Well, I know that there are, like, races where people go in circles. I know that it happens with rollerblading, but in my mind, I've created memories of people ice skating in circles, too. Yeah, I'm I'm picturing what you're saying. No, it's it's skating, because they're, like, dressed like they're cold. So, yeah. Anyway, Tanya was born in 1970, and she was raised mostly by her mom, Lavana Golden, who is played by, is it Allison? Um, why am I blanking on her last name? Really great actress. She was in The West Wing. That's who plays her I don't even in I, Tanya. know what her name is, but she's <laughs> a fantastic actor. No, she's, like, incredible. Um, watch West Wing, guys. Um, and so she was raised in Portland, Oregon, and Tanya began ice skating at the age of four, and from then on, whether by choice or by, like, her mom's influence, Tanya pretty much devoted all of her early life to the, like to the sport and even going as far as dropping out of high school to focus all of her attention on ice skating um she did eventually get her ged which is great um but uh growing up tanya's family really struggled financially and so my impression also with um like the movie and then just kind of some of the things that i read is that 
part of why Tanya was kind of pushed into the sport was because like in some cases there is, you know, some like financial, you know, um, gain or benefit, I guess, from, uh, being like the best in your sport, whether that is, um, like ad deals or whatever, um, or prize money, if that's an option as well. And so I feel like Tanya, um, was a little bit pressured into the sport to begin with, but also probably felt a little bit of pressure to perform well and be the best to help like her family. Um, and so to bypass some of the expenses of the sport, uh, Tanya's mom actually sewed a lot of Tanya's costumes by hand, which I also, like, I think in the movie, it's kind of depict, like, do they depict that in the movie from what I remember? I feel like they do. Yes, they do depict that in the movie. Um, they also, I don't know if this is true, but she, since a lot of ice skaters had like fancy fur coats, her mom made her a rabbit fur coat and it just looked terrible compared to everybody else's because it was like they skinned the rabbits themselves and sewed it together into a coat. Yeah. Don't do that guys. Um, and so, um, so yeah, like she didn't always like look the best, I guess, or, um, had like the best costumes and stuff. And so, um, I think that also maybe contributed to, maybe a little bit of how Tanya was perceived in the sport, but also how she felt like she was being perceived in the sport as well. Um, Like being the person on the other side of the tracks or whatever. Um, And so Tanya was also the unfortunate victim of various types of abuse at the hands of her mother and her half brother, Chris Davison. According to Tanya, beginning around the age seven, um, being physically and emotionally abused by her mother was a constant in her life. Um, and then her half brother, Chris also sexually harassed, terrorized and molested her on several occasions. Reaching a breaking point, Tanya did eventually call the police who arrested Chris, but through it all, her parents were in denial and no criminal charges were ever brought against him. And so that's, you know, sad origin story. I feel like a lot of people have that kind of story. Um, and so back on the ice in the mid 1980s, Tanya was gaining recognition for her ice skating. Her successes slowly got bigger and bigger. First, she placed sixth at the 1986 U.S. Figure Skating Championships, fifth in 1987 and 1988, and third in 1989. She went on to become the champion of the, the October 1989 Skate America competition. Other skaters looked at Tanya as a strong competitor at the February 1990 U.S. Figure Skating Championships. Unfortunately, at the time of the competition, she was suffering from the flu and asthma, and so she wasn't able to give the same like award-winning performances that she had been giving in the years prior. And so 1991, though, was considered Tanya's breakthrough year, and she competed at the U.S. Championships and became the first American woman to successfully execute a triple axle jump. And then she went on to win a lot of awards that year, and she set a few a few records, um, including being the first woman to complete a triple axle in the short program. Don't know what the short program is, but good for her. Um the first woman to successfully execute two triple axles in a single competition and the first ever to compete to complete a triple axle in a combination with a double toe loop again no idea what this is but sounds super impressive to me good for her yeah (laughs) you go girl um and so like 
I feel like for Tanya, probably around then, she was like, oh my gosh, like I'm like finally, you know, breaking through and like becoming the best in this sport. But unfortunately, after 1991, Tanya struggled to have a year as good as that one again. And so she was never able to complete the triple axel ever again. Um, And then in 1992 and 1993, she didn't have great performances. She wasn't really placing. She wasn't really doing um, as well as she had done in 1991. And among some of... Tanya's biggest competitors were Nancy Kerrigan and Christy Yamaguchi. And so she was often losing to both of these people among like other um, skaters as well. I know just their names are very popular. Um, And so in 1991, things were turning around for Tanya and she won the 1994 U.S. Figure Skating Championship and earned a spot on the U.S. Olympic ice, ice skating team. However... This is where the crime comes in, guys. Um, the day before the start of the 1994 U.S. Figure Skating Championship Ladies Singles Competition, what a mouthful, um, ice skater Nancy Kerrigan, the reigning champion at the time, was leaving a practice session when she was attacked in a corridor of the Detroit Cobo Cabo Arena. Um, a, a man named Shane Stant was hired by Jeff Gillooly, which I don't know if I'm saying his name right either. Um, that was Tanya's ex-husband, but they were still kind of like in a relationship at the time. Um, and Sean Eckerd, who was Tanya's former one-time bodyguard, uh, to carry out the attack. And so according to Shane, as Nancy's practice uh, session began, was being recorded by a camera crew. He stood about one and a half feet behind the crew and waited for them to stop recording Nancy um, at the end of Nancy's practice. And so then he followed Nancy behind a curtain leading into the corridor. At that moment, since he was out of sight of anyone, he grabbed Nancy from behind and he hit her lower right thigh with a like hard metal, like black baton. And then naturally he escaped by jumping through a locked glass door. Great. And he ran to a getaway car where his uncle Derek Smith was waiting and the two sped off. So wait, quick, quick interruption. Um, So in the movie, it's portrayed that he like smashes the glass with the baton to escape. Is that it sounds like that's what he did in real life, too, that he like created a huge scene by smashing through glass. What I read was that he jumped through the glass. Okay. <laughs> well, I was just like, did it, he but escape through the glass door just by opening it? Or did he smash it? I read that Sounds he like jumped he through the glass, okay. but I could be wrong. I don't fact check anything. So, <laughs> <laughs> But um, yeah, and I did watch... Um, Well, let me, I'll read this part. And so um, the camera crew began recording again shortly after the attack, and they filmed Nancy sitting on the floor crying, surrounded by arena staff. On the tape, Nancy cries the, quote, famous line, why, why, why? Um, And there are, like, memes of that, which, very not cool meme maker people. Not nice at all. That's horrible. And so... I watched the video. I, I wanted to see the, um, like, actual, like, raw footage of that day. And so I saw, like, a, her, you know, doing her skating thing, leaving, 
walking behind the curtain and then the camera cuts off and then the camera cuts back on and she's like on the ground and you know crying explaining what happened she says why 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 she's in pain her dad carries her off and then you see like the arena staff or some like personnel like saying like they're described they're like it was a tall white guy wearing a black leather coat like they're all like chasing after him and like running around the arena and so he wasn't doing a very good job at like concealing whether he jumped through the window or hit it or caused a commotion either way he drew more attention to himself because with all of the people there that day it was very clear that he like they could all see like this that was the guy and they were all just like kind of chasing after him and trying to figure out what way he went right the movie really portrayed him as a bumbling idiot as well as the other (laughs) two men involved so it sounds like that you know was an accurate depiction yeah i don't know i don't know how um I don't think anyone involved in this were criminal masterminds. Um, and so the goal of the attack was to se- severely injure Nancy to the point that she could not compete. Um, but fortunately, he didn't hit her hard enough to break anything, but her leg still was seriously bruised. And so she did have to drop out of the competition. Two days later, on January 8th, 1994, Tanya won the competition and basically took the title away from Nancy. Um, And so on January 11th, a news anchor asked Tanya if she had considered whether someone she knew had planned to attack Nancy. Tanya replied, I definitely have thought about it. No one controls my life but me. If there's something in there that I don't like, I'm going to change it. What a weird way to respond. (laughs) Like, I don't. I'm like, I don't know if this was like spliced together the wrong way. Like if something was like missing in 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 between that statement um like the statement i found was like an ellipses it's like no one controls my life but me dot 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 and so i don't mm-hmm. know if that was a pause or if that's just like they, if they cut something out like but the statement seems a little weird did do you say. know if she knew at this point that there was other involvement or no so or is it completely you know speculation that we don't really know either way um so I, I'll I'll get into that. And so, but I will say, like, the interview taking place on January 11th, based on her own admissions later on, she she would have known, like, she should have known the day prior um, that they had done the attack. But it doesn't sound like she knew ahead right. of time. But I'll right. get into the, it. Well, the only thing um, I was going to say is that in terms of, kind of statement analysis from what I know based on the few like podcasts that I've listened to or kind of just um, from my very amateur true crime knowledge is that people will go through kind of weird gymnastics um, of answering a question like we as humans do want to tell the truth so she might have been trying to like twist her statement in a way that made it sound like she wasn't aware that's her um, ex-partner was involved but maybe mm-hmm. that's why it came across as so unusual because yeah she didn't know beforehand she found out after so she didn't want to implicate you know Herself. anyone by by saying that she knew before the rest of the world kind of found out who did it but mm-hmm. at the same time it just made it sound very weird or mm-hmm. you know just muddled so yeah that that's my two cents no i think you're i think you're probably onto something i will say so random like a side note tangent um drell and i or i watched um there's a show 
there's a few different versions of it, but it's called Criminal, and I watched the UK version on Netflix. And so each season, I think the first season has three episodes, the seven, the second season has four, and it basically just follows, like, an interrogation. So you're only ever, like, in the, like, interrogation room, really, um, and basically seeing how, like, the, like, detective investigators kind of parse through someone's statement with them and seeing how somebody constructs their statements and stuff. Wait, is um, this like a, a real show or is it like a dramatization? It's a dramatization. Okay. Still sounds very cool and I would like to watch <laughs> no, it. No, it's it's pretty good. I I really I especially like season two and I think that there are a few things that you and I would probably have some good discussion on. But I'm gonna watch it um, after this, don't you worry. <laughs> okay. Um but the whole time so I watched it all and then I was like Israel, you have to watch the show. It's so good because I need someone to talk to about it. And so I rewatched it with him. And like the general conclusion that like he and I came to was like, if you know you did something, like just say nothing. <laughs> like, right. You're like anything you say, like they're going to like find a hole or use it against you. Or you might be saying something without realizing you're saying something. So like, just don't say anything. So that's kind of my two cents on what she probably should have did, but I'm pulling up something now. So I want to say, I'm fairly certain that it was, there's a podcast called dialogue and she, uh, the Rebecca is the host of the show. She will talk to, um, you know, people involved in all kinds of aspects of true crime, whether like they were involved in a crime or they're an Mm -hmm. investigator. And she spoke to, here it is, um, statement analysis. It's Mark McClish episode. So he does statement analysis. And I remember that was just a very, you know, educational episode. Highly recommend everyone go listen to it if they're interested. But he, you know, talked about just the way that people might word things like, um, if they're lying, they might say like, oh, I have, I've never done that before when it would just make more sense to be like, no, I didn't do that. Um, so just from his experience analyzing lots of different, um, criminal cases that there are patterns to the way that we speak and the way that we might, you know, um, deny things in, yeah, I, I completely agree with you that you should just probably not say anything because you might give yourself away trying to defend yourself you're gonna sound suspicious (laughs) yeah and I like speaking for myself I a lot of times speak in a very like long-winded like even the way I write normally and I try not to do it when I do this like um like when I write my cases for this because I'm like I I feel like I overcomplicate the way I say things sometimes And I just know, like, someone like me, I would, like, dig myself into a hole for something I didn't do just because I say things in, like, a super fanciful way for no reason. So, yeah, don't say anything, guys. Um, But, yeah. Um, Okay, so on January 13th, so it's two days after that interview, um, Sean Eckard and Derek Smith, so Sean being like her former bodyguard, and then Derek Smith, the getaway driver, were arrested. And so on January 18th, Tanya spent over 10 hours being interviewed by the district attorney and the FBI. The FBI released transcripts of the interview to the public, and the Seattle Times reported that Tanya, quote, changed her story well into a long interview. And so they also said after 
Hours of denying any involvement in trying to cover up the plot, FBI agent finally told her what, sorry, told her that he knew she had lied to him and that he would tell her exactly how she had lied to him. And so towards the end of the transcript, Tanya says, I hope everyone understands. I'm telling on someone I really care about. I know now that Jeff is involved. I'm sorry. And so I have like some thoughts about like this. I didn't read the full transcript. And so this is just me just just talking. (laughs) So um, like I'm curious how much the FBI actually knew when Mm. they said we know you lied to me because I feel like we see that plot or we see that, you know, I guess plot device. Yeah. Good cop, bad cop. Yeah, like, I know you did this. And so someone's feeling, like, the pressure on them and, like, feeling like, okay, well, you know, okay, here's what I did. But you also see that happen in cases, or we've seen that happen in cases where people actually had no involvement. And they're like, well, you apparently have some story where I am, like, the mastermind behind this. So, like, let me, (laughs) let me just say here. I'm so glad you said that. That's exactly what I was thinking, too, of cases where people are falsely arrested, where they accuse them over and over again of lying. So, like, it's understandable in some senses why a cop might do that because it produces the results they've wanted before and helps them catch the quote-unquote bad guy. But at the same time, it's not effective in cases where the person didn't actually do it and, you know... Being, did you just say that she was interrogated for 10 hours? Yeah. Like, that's astonishing to hear. And mm-hmm. I think if you took a person who had no involvement, like, just like a control patient, and put them in uh, a situation like that, they might end up confessing because that's just a very traumatizing and intensive situation to be involved mm-hmm. in. And I think that our brains can only handle, you know, things for so long before we kind of go into protective mode and if if you think that confessing is going to protect you then that's what you're going to do you're desperate you know you're like uh what's the like psychological phenomenon of if you drop a rat like in a bucket it's only gonna try to swim out of the bucket of water for so long before like learned helplessness there we go oh yeah where you just give up Mm -hmm. no exactly that and i'm curious even just reading some of this it um like, it very specifically, like, even how the Seattle Times reported it, it's, like, after a long interview, she started changing her tune. I would be interested if, like, we could hold some, like, weird controlled, like, study. And, like, a cop came in, and, like, both people are innocent, and a cop came in at the beginning of an interview and was like, I know you did this. And, like, see what happens. Versus you, like, torturing or whatever someone for 10 hours, not really torturing, but, like, talking and talking and talking and, like, parsing through every single detail and re-asking things different ways and, like, having them answer the same question multiple times to see if their story is straight. Like, you know, having them go through that mental gymnastics and then saying, I know you did this. (laughs) Like, and so I, I don't know. I don't know the validity of... Yeah, I don't know the validity or the authenticity of, like, Tanya's final statement in that in that interview, um, saying that she was telling on Jeff and she knows now that Jeff is involved. Um, I also don't know if, well, did she truly know all that stuff and, like, maybe just after the attack but before the interview, then she knew that 
Jeff well, was involved. Can I interject? Words, I know now. Too. This man is her abuser that, you know, based on what I don't know, you know, how much it was exaggerated in the movie. Um, but it sounds like from what you're saying that they pretty much, you know, he was abusive to her. Mm-hmm. And so you're asking, like, is it necessarily her? She might be in a situation fearing for her life. In the movie, it portrayed that there were situations where this man was extremely aggressive towards her and she might have been fearful for her own life. And as we've discussed in cases in the past involving domestic abuse, um, even if someone is not in immediate danger, in their mind, they might be in immediate danger. Mm -hmm. So you're basically like, as a policeman, I think you would be aware, police person, I don't Sorry, I don't mean to just say, like, policeman. But it was back in the 80s, too, so there might not have been much diversity. It doesn't sound like they had a woman <laughs> interviewing her or, you know, did not take into consideration that... Um, but either way, they should have had access to see, oh, in the past, there have been calls to this home. There have been reports. This um, This woman is... This man is her abuser. So, of course, she might be... Like, what might you do in that situation if you were fearful, if you said anything, that this man was going to harm you or kill you? You know, it's it just seems kind of irresponsible that that wasn't considered. And maybe if they had approached the situation differently, saying, hey, you know, we want to find out what happened. We're going to protect you. We're going to make sure that this person doesn't hurt you. Do you know if there was any involvement? Um, maybe mm-hmm. that's just like reaching too far um because at this point maybe they didn't know if she was involved either but i think even if she was this man was physically abusive towards her so how much of it was something that she might have done on her own free will versus being coerced into the situation it's just that i think should have been considered from the beginning and should have helped uh inform their questioning of her yeah I I totally, totally agree. And, like, we've seen in, like, a couple of these, um, some of the cases that we've had that we've talked about of, like, domestic abuse um, that I'm thinking of a couple of mine where you see, like, even after divorce, even after not, like, leaving this person, like, this abuser, somehow, like, these like their lives are still entangled and like that person is still around. And so I think that also just speaks to, it's not always just easy to like walk away. It's not easy to just like, just getting a divorce doesn't protect you or whatever. No. And I I think we've said this before is that a woman is at, or leaving a violent partner, you're at your greatest risk when you are leaving. So I think that, you know, not to scare anyone out of leaving, but it's just that situation should be handled very delicately and can take a lot of planning. And, um, you know, if you know someone who is in a, a relationship where there is violence, it might be frustrating for you and you might not understand, but I think it's important to highlight to them, I'm always here if you need me. Um, you know, not just to be like, well, I'm not going to be friends with you if you keep being with this person because it just might be more complicated. And mm-hmm. I think just always extending that support is is such an important thing and recognizing how dangerous of a situation it could be. Yeah, totally. Um, so despite her final statement in that FBI um, 
interview, Tanya maintained her innocence, um, but she did, however, take responsibility and apologized um, publicly publicly for, quote, failing to report things about the assault when I returned home from nationals on January 10th. My failure to immediately report this information is not a crime. And so it sounds like, according to this version of events, like the attack takes place on, I think, January 6th. Tanya wins January uh, 8th. She gets home January 10th. And that's, according to her, is when she finds out with Je- what Jeff, Sean, Shane, and Derek did. And she did not report anything. And so the like, I didn't write this down, but I did read. So once the attack basically happened and like Tanya won, obviously speculation, blah, blah, blah. um, The media, I think, played a very big part in a lot of how Tanya was portrayed and like what the public opinion was. They immediately started following Tanya like around like nonstop basically and so anything that she did was like put under extreme extreme scrutiny and I think one of the things that's going to come back to haunt her is like I guess at some point she was talking I think to Jeff on a payphone and I think that ends up becoming like a smoking gun or something like clearly you were colluding or whatever but this is me getting ahead of myself um So uh, kind of like what I said, the media and the public opinion speculated that Tanya had to have had something to do with the attack or she was somehow involved. And so speculation was only fueled by the fact that both Nancy and Tanya would be representing the U.S. at the Olympics that February. So just a month later. Um, And at the Olympics, Nancy actually wore the same infamous white costume that she wore on the day of the attack. When asked about why she chose to wear that costume, um, she said, humor is good. It's empowering. And Nancy went on to win silver and Tanya placed eighth. And so I think like in the past, I think Tanya had beaten Nancy before, but Nancy like was like historically she was always, she was beating Tanya a lot. And so I think one, the fact that Nancy did win that day uh, or the day of the attack kind of made people think, yeah, if Nancy could have performed, she probably wouldn't have won. And that's only further, like, I think that the fact that Nancy went on to place second and Tanya only got eighth just furthered, like, see, like, Tanya couldn't have done this without Nancy out of the way. Like, she can't even get, like, you know, she can't even place in the top three at the Olympics. But again, we're talking about the world, not just the United States at that point. But Still, um, I think a lot of how the media was portraying this really, I think, gave investigators like the fuel that they needed to like continue to do the investigation. Um, And so despite all of the men um, pleading guilty and being sentenced to prison time, the investigation into Tanya's involvement was still ongoing. And so on March 16th, Tanya was charged and she pled guilty to conspiracy to hinder prosecution. And so basically not telling the police what she knew on the 10th and that, or yeah, by the 10th, not telling police what she knew and then also not being direct, like in the first nine hours of interviewing on January 18th when she was interviewed by the FBI. 
And so her lawyer negotiated a plea bargain to ensure that she would not um, have to deal with further prosecution later down the line if they were to find, if they were to like, you know, create a new narrative or whatever. Um, And so as part of the plea, Tanya had to admit that she knew of the assault plot after the fact. So nothing to say that she knew about it before they did it or that she was involved in the planning. She also had to admit that she settled on the cover story with um, Jeff and Sean. And so basically, like those, you know, payphone conversations that she had were kind of used as evidence as like, see, you were talking to him on a payphone. That's when you were like planning or like planning what your cover story was going to be. And then the other thing was um, that... She had to admit that she lied to the FBI um, using that same story um, on the 18th. And so she was sentenced to three years of probation. She had to pay $100 in fines and she had to do 500 hours of community service. And she also had to reimburse the Multnomah. I don't I don't know how to say this Oregon County, guys. Multnomah. Multnomah? Does that sound right? (laughs) You're asking the wrong person. (laughs) Okay. She had to reimburse the Multnomah whatever county county in Oregon (laughs) she had to replace an or she had to reimburse in Oregon County ten thousand dollars in legal expenses she had to undergo a psychiatric examination which I don't really understand why and she had she also volunteered to give fifty thousand dollars to the special olympics Oregon charity um And so in addition, she had to resign from the U.S. Figure Skating Association, which meant that she had to withdraw from the from the world competition um, or the world championship competition that year. And she was also stripped of the 1994 U.S. Figure Skating Championship title that she had won um, following Nancy's attack. And so that's basically the case of Tanya Harding and what happened to Nancy Kerrigan. Um, Tanya has like written a couple books about what, like about her life, about what happened. There's a couple auto, like not auto, a couple biographies on her, the, the movie I, Tanya, which I really did enjoy. And I think people should watch it. It's good. Some of it's probably fictionalized, but I think it's a good watch. Um, and also, fun fact, she went on to be a boxer, so good for her. Um, but yeah. That is such... I'm glad you did that. That's such an interesting story. Um, to go back to my point at the beginning, I wasn't sure if the movie, you know, played down her involvement, but I think it sounds exactly like what you were talking about, is that she didn't find out about it until after the fact. Um, so that was the one thing that I had questions about but it sounds like that was the case and wow I think it's just I feel very badly for her and I think that the punishment that she received was unnecessary to me it sounds like she needed therapy and needed to get away from this man and um yeah, just the portrayal in the movie, like, big trigger warning, um, watching that movie, the portrayal of what it's like to be in a relationship where there is domestic violence and, you know, 
you see kind of the patterns of her experiencing violence at the hands of her mother. Um, I think in the movie itself, the she says, like, this was all I ever knew is, like, the person who, like, loves me is just going to, like, beat the crap out of me. And so mm-hmm. that's just what continued. So I think it's heartbreaking to me that she experienced all of these punishments and was denied from, you know, doing the thing that that she loved and seemed to be a really powerful coping skill for her. Um, Mm -hmm. And like the one way for her to, to me, it's like she threw herself into this because she had some, you know, natural talent and this was her way out of her bad situation. And Mm -hmm. they just stripped that of her. I think that there were a lot of considerations they needed to taken into place not saying that she shouldn't have been punished at all for not coming forward sooner but like she was in an abusive relationship with this man i think that it's important to to have those considerations and i do i do really feel for her in the situation and it makes me sad i i 100 percent agree with all of that i also just feel I feel like some of it was a little hard. Like, the punishment was a little harsh. Like, not ever being able to, like, skate again. I... How do they even have the... I guess the the organization could ban her. Yeah, like, yeah. And I guess part of the plea deal was that she had to resign from the Figure Skating Association, which I guess if you have to be a member of it to do, like, national competitions. Don't fact check me, guys. I'm probably wrong. Whatever. <laughs> um, but, like, just even thinking about, I guess I empathize with her in a certain way of that, like, I'm, I've always been, like, the type of person who I'm, like, really, really good at something, but, like, not, like, I might, like, like get, like, an accolade here or there, but, like, no matter, like, my best efforts, just not good enough to be great, like, if that makes sense. And, like, not to say it in, like, a sad way. Um, I just I just really empathize with her, like, um, when she finally did win something, like, the narrative is she only got it because someone else was injured, when it could have been 100% possible that she could have won. Right. And she, you know, and so I just, I empathize with her in that regard, where she's, like, I feel like she spent her whole career like fighting tooth and nail to like get some respect and then when she like finally and she's been a champion before but this time was just well because your real competition wasn't there and so I do feel Mm -hmm. bad um for her in that regard so yeah also I think that a punishment there needs to be an opportunity for growth and just ban like it would be one thing if they banned her for a certain period of time but i guess like the whole concept of prison is that you serve your time and then once you're done with that then you are like you paid your debt to society and that is not mm-hmm. the case clearly yeah. and this made me think there was a brazilian soccer player who murdered his girlfriend and then was allowed once he was released from prison was allowed to sign for a club i just pulled up the article what? so this man killed his girlfriend and her body was dismembered and eaten by dogs and this man oh. was still allowed to go back and play football and oh wasn't god wasn't michael vick allowed to go back to football after his whole ordeal after dog <laughs> um I, I i don't know let's find out michael Vick. <laughs> the soccer player i'm talking about by the way if anyone wants to look it up is bruno fernandez de souza 
um, is I that story like it was appalling to me to hear and just makes me think of like how unequal punishments can be when it comes to like men and women. Yeah, he was able to play for the he did a one year contract with the Pittsburgh Steelers. That said, I do think dog fighting is a little bit different than murdering people, but <laughs> true. But compared to Tanya, who her like banned from her sport, right? Yeah. Her crime was that she didn't. Mm-hmm. Which to me, it makes me think that these two men were given the opportunity to go back to their sport because think about the amount of money that they generated mm-hmm. versus figure skating, where you're only going to generate money if you're really in like the top like 0.01 percent so perhaps Mm -hmm. that that played a role um and the fact that we might view uh football players as you know kind of like gods where they're given special treatment um or football or soccer or like male sports figures i think that there have been many cases where they were you know kind of we turned a blind eye to things that they did because it generates so much money and like Mm -hmm. is just very prestigious in our society um but yeah that that's just such a bummer it's very sad i think she should have been allowed to do skating so that brings me to the celebrity case i feel like too that we both coincidentally ended up doing celebrities who um maybe got like a bad shake or like deserve uh you know some a little redemption yeah exactly a little grace um yeah. so today i will be doing or like maybe misunderstood celebrities too i think is mm-hmm. is um a good way to phrase that um so i will be doing the case of amanda Bynes. i am actually a huge amanda Bynes fan i feel like amanda Bynes Same. was like <laughs> through she's my, a huge part of our childhood yeah like, exactly like oh my god she's the man i feel like i have that movie memorized <laughs> um i just watched easy a um, I think that was one Love of the yes. last movies that she did. Oh my God, she was killed that role. Um, she was in Sydney White, kind of a lesser known, like really terrible movie. Um, what else? Um, oh, I mean, just the Amanda Bynes show. Yes, like was just one such a big part i really loved all that and i thought that was a like one she was also on all that so that all clearly she's a legend and then the amanda Bynes show was so good and look what it like we got drake and josh from it like right moody's point in the amanda show was <laughs> probably some of the best acting i've ever seen in my life yes so. <laughs> i feel like people our age you know we have like the catchphrases like Amanda, please, or like, Maha, like, you know, or like, <laughs> yeah. the girl's room, like, dancing or the lobsters. Dan- exactly, that's what I was going to say next, <laughs> is there are things that, like, we all are kind of aware of, and that, like, she was just fantastic. She was such a great child actor. She, um, she also was in Big Fat Liar. I don't know if you ever saw that. Um, mm-hmm. She was in a WB sitcom called What I Like About You that, like, yes. my sister and I watched. It was so good. Loved that. Um, wow, like, this teenage girl was allowed to live with like her cool older sister in the city watching it like back i'm like oh my god why was this allowed to happen but like as a kid you're like oh my god that'd be so cool um and then so what else she starred in what a girl wants uh she voiced a robot in the movie robots um she's the man hairspray great movie love hairspray and then easy a um but so Amanda announced that in 2010 she planned to take an indefinite hiatus from acting, which I feel like 
was a little unusual because she was fantastic. She was, you know, killing all these roles. Um, and it, it kind of seemed, you know, like she was just continuing to build on the momentum from her entire career. Um, so in 2012, Amanda was charged with driving under the influence in West Hollywood. Supposedly, she was pulled over after hitting a stopped police car. She refused to take a test that would determine if she was drunk or using drugs. I think in this case, you know, the the assumption would be that someone was under the influence. Um, so you always have the right to turn down a blood alcohol concentration concentration test, BAC, but you are still likely to face serious consequences if you do so. Um, officers can still use the evidence collected at the scene. So, um, you know, they can use officer testimony, the results of a field sobriety test, and the testimony of any witnesses that, that may have seen what happened. Um, additionally, your refusal can be used against you in certain states. So there are certain state laws that mean, uh, or state laws that mean you can face smaller penalties for refusing a mobile breathalyzer versus um, also, you know, refusing the post-arrest blood, urine, or breath test. I know, um, just anecdotally, I would never in any universe drink and drive, but like I've heard people say like, oh, you should, like, decline the breathalyzer, and then by the time you get to jail, like, your blood alcohol content will be lower. So, like, when they do the blood tests, like, just, I feel like, kind of, like, urban, not urban legends, but, like, kind of myths about what to do mm -hmm. in the case of arrest. But, like, hey, how about just don't drink and drive? Um, also, I find, <laughs> I find it interesting that you can face a penalty for refusing, but, like, isn't that like pleading the fifth? Like you have a right to not self-incriminate. So, so it, am I wrong? Help me. Please. So driving is considered a privilege, not a right. So this is why states have the power to suspend or revoke your driver's license if you decline a, a BAC test when you are suspected of driving while impaired. So whether or not you might agree with that, that is kind of the legal precedent, is that driving is considered a, a privilege. And I will say, as someone who is on the road, you know, if you were driving erratically and you decline a breathalyzer test, then to me that says, you know, I was probably drinking. Um, and it's just... In this case, it's a matter of protecting the other drivers, too. Um, so it, I think this is different than just having a Fifth Amendment right. I think I, I agree that driving is a privilege, and if you are driving unsafely, um, if you can clear it up by being like, no, I'm just a really bad driver, let me blow into this thing, then that's one thing. But um, I think that driving while under the influence is just such a, a serious offense and that um you know I, it's just not protected by your fifth amendment rights it's it's a privilege apparently um that's what that's what i found um i was kind of interested to read all of that too but um i'm gonna i'm gonna, I'm gonna respectfully disagree with you all but keep going <laughs> no i i openly welcome your disagreement that is completely fine um but that's my right not my privilege <laughs> Well, driving, you have to be licensed to, to drive, and there are certain things that you agree to when you, you know, you can't just get I on agree, the road and I drive think, a car around. You have to I have think, a license, and by getting the license, you're entering the contract that I am going to be a safe driver. I I don't disagree on that, on that part. I think 
I disagree on like the interpretation of what the Fifth Amendment protects you against. Um, and I feel like it does protect you against self-incrimination. Like, so I don't know. I just feel like it's the same as giving a testimony where you say, yes, I did this. Um, and it might not, I guess, sure, take away someone's license, but um, any other penalty where that you could face in terms of a legal sense, I think is an abuse of like the system. And I also do think that we, we get into, I think the legal system gets into a very hairy place when you start legally defining what's a right and versus what's a privilege, Mm -hmm. because who gets to make that decision? And I understand, yes, it is, it is, um, you know, the law is like telling you, or I guess, yeah, you, you enter into this agreement, you get a license. Sure. You can say that that's a privilege, but like, where does it stop at deciding what's a right and what's a privilege. And so I just think that's it can a fair be point. a slippery slope. That but is a fair point. Keep I, going, yeah. please. Um, either way, that is the interpretation of the law now. So um, if you had any questions about that, hopefully that clears it up. Um, so the charge would be dropped two years later after this, and she received three years of probation. Um, but Amanda was arrested again later that year for hitting another car on San Fer- Fernando, San Fernando's Valley's uh, 101 freeway. And um, she reportedly drove away um so she would be formally charged with a dui um after that incident and um so she would be formally charged with a dui after that situation uh this resulted in her pleading on twitter to the president at the time barack obama claiming she was not drinking she was not responsible for this hit and run and requested that the cop uh responsible for this be fired um this to me shows you know the beginning of some delusions happening um so quick mental health fact um there's often confusion between like hallucinations and delusions so hallucinations are when you are seeing hearing feeling smelling things that aren't there whereas a delusion concerns your beliefs um concepts or ideas that are kind of held in your mind so delusions have two criteria they must be held even in the presence of um, evidence proving it wrong, um, and they must not be related to an individual's culture. So, for example, some people might argue that religion, uh, you know, Christianity is a delusion um, because there's no direct evidence. Um, so those are excluded, which it's important to, to take culture into consideration when you're making any type of mental health uh, considerations. So well, what, if, what if someone says that they hear God? well, you're putting me in a bad position, Natalie. (laughs) I guess at that point you would ask them more about it and see if it was something that, you know, is God telling you to go murder someone? Or is it, you know, God is... But does it have to be a bad thing? Like, can't... Like, is here... Like, just hearing God, regardless of the context. Like, I hear God. Well, I would, you know, want to ask how often is it happening? What's it like when you hear God? Um, Do you know other people in your circle who have also experienced, you know, hearing God? Um, Are some ways that you could go about determining? And is your hearing God, is that causing some, is that causing you distress? Is that causing any impairment on your life? Or does it seem to fit within the typical experience of, um, you know, a, a Christian person who might hear God telling them, you know, um, to, to change something about their life. Or um, I think the 
as a counselor, if someone were to tell me that, it would be important to, to recognize the context. Um, mm-hmm. And then to also kind of run through those questions. Is this something that's causing this person distress? Or is this, you know, a, a typical experience of someone in this religion? Um, so that's, you're throwing me a hardball here. <laughs> I just, I, I like to keep you on your toes. <laughs> Thanks. Well, um, so she was, I think, starting to experience some delusions here. So um, she, you know, felt that Barack Obama might see her tweet that might intervene and help her that, um, you know, it's just delusions of grandeur, um, I think is is what I would categorize this as. But um, so she pled not guilty to the charges. She was... um, facing potential jail time if she was convicted of these misdemeanors um and she got in trouble again in september of 2012 by driving on a suspended license since her license was suspended after these you know two incidents um so during this time amanda continued to express to the public that she was doing amazing um she was starting a fashion line and moving to new york she also again claimed that she didn't drink um she was engaging in some unusual behavior including removing her clothes while she was at the gym in the middle of a class um which you know wouldn't be weird if you're like exercising and you take off your shirt and you got a sports bra on but she had stripped down to supposedly her strapless bra she was doing her makeup in the middle of a workout class and then she just left once she was done um you know touching up um so it's just not so great you know she was expressing like i'm not drinking i'm not doing anything wrong um i think um and the fact that she was talking about her fashion line and moving to new york everything's going great it seemed like there was a real disconnect from what was happening what she perceived was happening and what was going on in reality um so one thing that i think is so challenging about having mental health issues while being a celebrity is having a spotlight shined on you while you're going through your most difficult experience in life um so one celebrity who has experienced her fair share of controversy lindsay lohan tweeted about the situation why did i get put in jail when a nickelodeon star uh has had no punishment so far. She later followed up with, these are moments that I appreciate my life experiences, living without regrets, and uh, thank Disney for supporting me as an actress. Um, But Amanda would quickly soon be dropped by her agent, her publicist, and her lawyer. They weren't, they said they weren't able to get in touch with Amanda for an entire month. Um, And according to TMZ, so take this with a grain of salt, Amanda had been a dream client for um, years, but was growing more and more difficult to work with. Um, Her reported behavior appears to back up this claim, which is why I'm sharing it. You know, it appeared that things were going well, and then there was kind of this big drop off where things were going really not well. Um, So Amanda reached a settlement with the two hit and run victims in December of 2012. In early January, Amanda debuted her cheek piercings on her Tumblr page. Um, So I think that as someone who this was happening when I was either kind of in between going and starting college. So I didn't have a great understanding of mental health at the time and I think that we all kind of remember seeing Amanda 
start not doing great seeing her pop up in in the news again it was like oh she Mm -hmm. was in easy a and now she's getting arrested for hit and runs she's having drinking problems she's drastically changing her appearance by getting you know cheek piercings she was appearing in like wigs that were just really unkept and just very unusual behavior um so she debuted her cheek piercing she also shared in march of that year that she created the phrases um ilu and lolol um so again we're seeing kind of delusions of thinking oh i invented these wonderful things um she also continued to tweet at other celebrities um and i think we are all mostly aware of what she said and she has expressed regret and embarrassment uh, of what she said so i'm not going to repeat it you can look into it yourself or you probably experienced it and know what she said um and i think it just goes to show again that um these things that she were saying she wasn't quite uh quite um, aware of what she was saying or um, how damaging it could be. Um, and she continued to say, you know, I'm allergic to alcohol. I don't smoke pot. Like, nothing, nothing's wrong. Everything's fine. Um, Jenny McCarthy ended up tweeting, uh, police at Amanda Bynes' house. Um, oh, gosh. I'm going to interject that paragraph later um but so amanda pled no contest to driving with a suspended license and was sentenced to three years of probation additionally she was ordered to pay a fourteen hundred dollar fine um at this point there was still a dui case pending i might have missed one here or there it was kind of confusing to follow um everything and everything was like celebrity gossip places so not sure if it's 100 percent accurate um But Amanda still appeared to be struggling after her arrest. In May of 2013, Amanda was caught smoking marijuana in the lobby of her apartment building in Manhattan. When confronted by officers, she allegedly had thrown a bong out of the window. Amanda was charged with reckless endangerment and marijuana possession, and um, her case did end up being dismissed later on, but still, you know, not great. And it was at this point that Jenny McCarthy tweeted, police at Amanda Bynes' house, I hope they get her help. Enough of the circus. She needs help. Amanda responded by calling Jenny ugly and an old lady. Um, Jenny then apologized to Amanda, and Amanda replied saying, thanks, I'm sorry I offended you. You're beautiful. I was lying. I'll delete our tweets. Um, So I think in the moment, you know, we all kind of were thought her behavior was unusual and we might have, you know, thought it was funny or like, you know, back then I was a teenager and didn't have a great understanding of of mental health or what more serious issues might be going on. But the fact of the matter is there's a real person behind that who's really struggling. and so I think we we saw this recently with the whole um, Kanye drama where, you know, people are quick to make fun of someone who's struggling with mental health issues, um, which like it just puts us in a, in a weird place as consumers of how do we react to a situation like this. Um, but I think it goes to show kind of the hypocrisy in the sense that we always say, you know, we want to support people with mental health concerns that we want to do our best but when someone's actively having you know a, a breakdown that it it can be confusing and our reactions to it might not be um what that person needs um mm-hmm. but maybe i'm overcomplicating some things um <laughs> 
But uh, so in July of 2013, Amanda was detained by the Ventura County Sheriff's deputies after she started a small fire in a stranger's driveway. Uh, This was very concerning to the police and they placed her on a 72 hour mental health evaluation hold. Um, So just some information about uh, 72 hour holds. They do vary from state to state, but the general concept is that a healthcare facility can place someone in an on an involuntary involuntary hold if they are having an acute mental health, you know, crises. For instance, um, just from own personal experience, a counselor might put someone on a hold if they believe they are in immediate danger to themselves or others. Um, So certain states have further specifications. There um, is also variations about how long the holds are, who can initiate the hold, how much judicial oversight is required, and the rates of the patients during the time of the hold. Um, It can be a really traumatizing thing to put a mental health hold on someone, so it is always very much a last case scenario. Um, And so just to take a little counselor break here, um, I know that sometimes people are worried if they're honest with their counselor about their suicidal or homicidal thoughts. They think, oh gosh, if I like say I'm thinking about killing myself that I'm just going to be put on a hold right away. I don't want to go to uh, the hospital. It's a really, you know, terrible, it's a not so great experience. It's designed, you know, as a last case resort just to protect someone from from causing immediate harm. Um, So... Hopefully this can help you feel better if if you might be having those thoughts is that we as counselors do receive training on how to assess risk. Um, I think that having suicidal thoughts is is a lot more common than, than one might think. And there are a lot of things that we take into consideration as counselors before initiating a 72-hour hold. Um, so if you are thinking about talking to a therapist, if you're having thoughts, um, of, you know, harming yourself or others, I think it's just always best to, you know, hopefully you have a therapist that you feel like you can trust. Um, and that, you know, if you have any questions about, you know, clarifications on confidentiality, I would encourage you to discuss that with your therapist. There's no, you know, it's never going to be a surprise of a situation. Um, if it is, then your therapist is a really bad therapist. Um, and, you know, I, I just would encourage you to not feel so alone in that situation and that you can feel comfortable talking to your counselor about those kinds of things. Um, I don't know, Natalie, if you had anything to add to that or if you had any. No, no I think as as always everything you're saying is right (laughs) i totally agree thank you (laughs) i just feel like i couldn't i know it doesn't really apply to this situation but i don't think that i could talk about a 72 hour old hold without kind of addressing some of the myths behind it or things that people may worry about um but yeah just a 72 hour old very much is if someone is in immediate danger to to prevent that and clearly someone in this case whether it was the police or if there was you know some type of mental health agency involved believed that she could harm herself or Mm -hmm. or someone else great and harm goes beyond you know um it it harm means basically killing yourself or someone else um or Mm -hmm causing like gross bodily harm so um that extends you know if someone uh is uh or having issues with self-harm that does not fall into that category so again feel comfortable talking to your therapist about self-harm that's not necessarily going to end you in a a 72-hour hold um so at the time of this hold um 
Amanda's parents filed for conservatorship. So this has been a hot button issue. I think the discussion of conservatorship because of uh, what's happening with Britney Spears. I don't know too much about the case other than, you know, Britney Spears also did have some um, struggles with with mental health. And at that point, I think it was her father that was given Mm -hmm. conservatorship. And there's been a push to push that to uh, her sister. And I don't don't quote me on this, but I think that it didn't go through or, you know, there's some concerns about her father being an abuser. So I don't know the backstory behind that, but just that it's an issue. Yeah, I think I think that there needs to be a lot. Someone needs to revisit how these conservatorships are done. But yeah, in like the case of Brittany, I know it was like they wanted her sister or she wanted her sister to kind of take it over because at least that's someone who has her best interest more in mind. Um, but I read today actually that um, it like was denied and so her father still retains conservatorship over her which (sighs) all right (laughs) yes so i just brought that up to you know say that it's still yeah like you said i think this is certainly something and i was looking up more information which i will share but this is just like the basic rundown of someone who's not a lawyer or not involved in like the legal profession in any way. Um, So someone else probably knows a lot better than me, but from what I could tell. um, So a conservator is someone who gains court-ordered authority and responsibility over someone who is no longer able to make their own decisions about their finances or healthcare. If a person voluntarily signs over their rights, a conservator is not necessary. Um, So when there is, you know, not planning beforehand, a person will have to request conservatorship in the case of like a crisis um i think it can happen in the case of you know um older adults if there is concerns about um their ability to take care of themselves um but so in some cases conservators are also referred to as adult guardians um but from what i could tell those two terms were interchangeable Um, Mm -hmm. So Amanda's mother was granted temporary conservatorship over her affairs. In October of 2014, Amanda started to tweet some really concerning information. She accused her father of emotional and sexual abuse, and she would later say that her father never abused her, um, but she did say the microchip in my brain made me say those things, but it's um, the one that he ordered them to, to microchip me. So again, I think we're seeing psychosis here where it's just to me that is just very concerning information and as kind of a collective crowd of people who may not understand mental health concerns might be like oh wow she's so crazy what's going on with her where you know to me I see this as a cry for help and it's terrible that the world is kind of being exposed to her um kind of darkest times but um her parents I think were fantastic they proclaimed their innocence during this time um and continued to support her you know i think it would be it kind of puts her dad in a tough position and i'm sure caused a lot of um frustration and um you know might have caused a rift in their relationship but they continued to support her during this time and her mother did remain her conservator um so Again, Amanda's going through a really hard time. Um, She did come out and say that she was diagnosed with bipolar disorder. 
Um, so bipolar disorder is one of the most commonly misrepresented mental disorders, I feel like. Um, I mean, we've all heard someone say like, oh, this person, or I'm so OCD because I like things clean or, you know, whatever. But I think people incorrectly use bipolar. They use it to refer to someone who shifts emotions rapidly and kind of in a dramatic fashion, Um, especially in reference to people who get, like, angry very quickly. They might say, like, oh, that person's so bipolar. Um, But bipolar disorder, formerly known as manic depressive illness or manic depression, um, so if it's you know described as that that's just kind of outdated terminology but still um you know talking about the same thing it's a disorder that results in shifts in mood activity levels concentration energy and a person's ability to complete day-to-day tasks um so there's three types of bipolar disorder there's bipolar one bipolar two and cyclothymic disorder so bipolar one is the more severe diagnosis People who have bipolar 1 disorder have manic episodes that last at least seven days or that are so severe that a person needs immediate intervention by a healthcare provider. Um, so mania looks like a dis- decreased need to sleep. Um, someone might have, you know, really high or elated mood. They also, it might present as being really irritable. Um, there's a loss of appetite. A person may talk very quickly, change topics, kind of, they may report having racing thoughts. Um, in manic episodes, we also see poor judgment, which may look like having um, uh, unsafe uh, sex with others to, you know, spend money um, to, you know, Uh, drive in a way that might harm yourself or others Um, generally you know it's it's doing things that may put yourself at risk Um, so a person also might not notice that they're having a manic episode because they feel invincible they feel like they you know are the expert they feel almost superhuman Um, so as a part of bipolar one disorder, depressive episodes are also common. They typically last about two weeks or so. Um, and it looks different from first person to person. Um, it's, you know, it's not one week of mania and then two weeks of depression and one week of mania. I think that there's a lot of variation, but, um, you know, depress, depression looks like um, down, feeling depressed, feeling worthless. There might be changes in appetite where you're eating more than usual or less than usual. You might have issues with sleep where you're sleeping more than usual or having difficulty falling asleep. Um, it is also commonly characterized by having a loss of interest in things that you usually enjoy, um, you know, might be having difficulty focusing. But um, basically, at the end of the day, the bipolar is the one is, is more severe, whereas bipolar 2 disorder is, is when a person experiences hypomanic episodes. So they share some of the same characteristics as a manic episode, but it's just less severe. Um, and an individual also may experience depressive episodes uh, throughout having bipolar 2 disorder. Um, And then finally, a cyclothymic disorder, uh, also can sometimes be called cyclothymia. It's when a person experiences hypomanic symptoms and depressive symptoms that last for at least two years. It's one year in children and adolescents for them to kind of hit those requirements, but they do not meet the full diagnostic requirements for a hypomanic episode or depressive episode. Um, So it's entirely possible for a person to experience symptoms and have it be clinically significant, which is like the buzzword that I feel like is often tossed around in um, the mental health world of clinically significant, meaning it has a significant 
impact on your ability to complete daily tasks, um, you know, to go to work, to go to school, to have relationship with your friends or family. So even though it might not necessarily tick, you know, you need to have five out of seven of these traits to be considered for this disorder, it can still be having an impact on your life. Um, so that's where cyclothymic disorder might come in. You might not just necessarily tick off all those boxes, but it's still having an impact on your life and your ability to function. Um, so I hope I didn't bore you all. I hope no one fell asleep <laughs> during this, you know, intro to abnormal psychology. Or uh, So Natalie and I are trained to on um, how to diagnose these using the SCID. So like the statistic... I'm not going to remember what it stands for, which is sad. Or I don't know if you even <laughs> want to include this, but statistical something of something disorder. The, no, the SCID is the, I can't remember what the S, but the clinical interview, structured clinical interview. Oh, I was so wrong. <laughs> <laughs> um, for uh, the DSM-5, so the D is DSM-5. Oh my god, I was so wrong on that, but well, because we just call it the skid, and you don't really have yeah, to think about yeah, the name. No, you're, um, no, you're right. But the way that things are diagnosed is very much, you know, sometimes like checking things off on a box. But I think the clinically significant thing is most important, and clearly, um, you know, Amanda was experiencing some clinically significant symptoms and you know distress in her life. Um, so bipolar disorder is usually diagnosed during the the teen years or in early adulthood. So um, there are quite a few mental illnesses that don't appear until later in life. So, you know, we might see people experiencing some symptoms here or there, but I don't think, I mean, some people might think that don't know as much might think, well, oh, they were like totally normal before. So there's no way they could have it now. Um, we do see an onset later in life. So it's not unusual for this to, to happen. Um, but so in 2018, Amanda publicly apologized for her tweets during the time she was having issues with substance abuse. Her parents were really supportive all throughout this difficult time, which I think is fantastic, and they continued to support her. Um, she did state, I am really ashamed and embarrassed uh, with the things I said. I can't turn back time, but if I could, I would. I'm so sorry to whoever I hurt and whoever um, I lied about because it truly eats away at me. So, you know, she did experience or did say that she was experiencing remorse for for what happened. Um, so she's publicly shared she would like to get back into acting. Um, we haven't seen anything come to fruition yet. But in 2019, she announced her graduation from the Fashion Institute of Design and Merchandising. Um, so I don't know if it was for her associate's degree and she's still currently working on her master's or not master's bachelor's degree um i couldn't quite figure that out so she might still be in school working on her bachelor's but as of may of 2020 um amanda has continued to be in treatment and she reports that she has been sober um so uh and i did read that you know throughout um she was living in a sober community sober living community before but now she's kind of sheltering in place on her own kind of throughout corona but she appears to be doing okay um and i think that i i do hope the best for her and i'm glad that she was able to to get treatment and um you know it's it's really um a shame that as she was kind of going through these struggles that it was really publicly 
uh, broadcasted to the world. But um, at the end of the day, you know, I think we all just hope that she is safe and, um, you know, is doing what she needs to do to, to take care of herself. Yeah. Go, Amanda. We're your biggest fans. I love Amanda Bynes. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I want to go watch I She's am- the Man again. What a great movie. <laughs> She's the Man is really great. I personally like it more for Emma Stone, but Amanda is great. That was easy A. <laughs> oh, wait. Oh, sorry. Right. <laughs> She's the Man is great because of Amanda. Because Bynes. of Channing Tatum, right. too. That was like the movie that launched his Oh, yeah. With his the career. In his nose. Oh, my God. The tampon in his nose. It's so good. Oh, my God. And like, uh, did you ever watch Arrested Development? No, a little bit. Oh, well, I was just going to say that I don't know the actor's name, but there's an actor that's on the show that was in uh, She's the Man. He was super, he was the principal guy in Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. She's the Man. He's just like super weird actor. Yeah. Like that's kind of his thing is that he's just like makes you feel really uncomfortable, but is super funny. Um, <laughs> gosh, that that's just such a good movie. Like it oh, was so, so it was like greats, bad, yeah. but like good. And Channing Tatum. I think we all had a crush. And then, yeah, Easy A, Emma Stone, fantastic. Ali Mashaka, she was in that, too. Um, yeah, she just had such... It's, like, even Sydney White, I feel like, one of her lesser-known. I used to watch that so much as, like, a teen. I thought it was so... It was, like... I've never heard of that. Um, so she was... It's basically, like, Snow White, but, like, in Greek life in college, so oh really it's like so bad but like so delightful where she's like the snow white-esque character and she was like in the sorority but got kicked out i think was the thing and so she had to go live with like the seven dwarves who are like these really dweeby guys in a fraternity (laughs) and there was like the prince charming and the main fraternity like it is just great it was it was it's like so bad that it's good you know <laughs> and hairspray what i love hairspray i amanda vines is great she's fantastic and i i would really love for her to get back into acting but if it's not in the cards for her that's fine too um i will say though just as a general life rule have you i don't know if you've seen pictures of her recently i I'm going to have to recommend against getting face tattoos, everyone. Yeah. But, like, other than that, like, we are on, I'm I'm on your side, Amanda. So whatever you want to do, we will cheer you on. Yeah. And, you know, I think uh, having issues with your appearance, you know, this might be, like, overanalyzing or taking things a step too far, but is, you know, I think she's still trying to figure out um, how she feels inside, and that's being reflected on, you know, her going through some things outside. And unfortunately, we might do some permanent things uh, <laughs> to our bodies that aren't like tattoos, you know. Our music is the track Wasteland by Joseph McDade. His Patreon and our podcast sources will be linked in the podcast description below. 
Any mistakes are entirely our own, so check out our wonderful sources for the most accurate information about these cases. We talk about some tough subject matter on our show. If you or someone you love is in need of support, please reach out to the Crisis Text Line by texting HOME to 741-741. They are available 24-7 and will connect you with a trained crisis counselor. You can also reach the National Domestic Violence Hotline by calling 1-800-799-7233. Thank you so much for listening to our show. Join us next week for another episode of Pink Collar, a true crime podcast.